Thank you for choosing Docs News, your only source to peace in the Middle East. I am your host, a wacko weirdo, rebel scum, Jedi hero, whichever you prefer, whatever side you sit on. And we have the program with all essential oils and vitamins within it. Um, we're going to be covering Liz Cheney's interview on Fox News. Uh, and then for the rest of it, no, oh, actually, skipping a beat here. And then we have uh, Fox News interviewing Mike Pompeo on the Biden and Iran situation. And then we're just going to uh, kind of filter through the PragerU videos that have come out over the years discussing the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict. So, uh, no Militia Watch update this week. Um, they had tweeted out that they are still working on it. There's a few other projects that they're working on. Uh, so next week, we're going to have twice as much to cover, which is just fine with me because Militia Watch updates personally are my favorite part of this. But uh, yeah, we begin now with Brett Bayer grilling Cheney in first live interview since House Rebuke. And if you uh, can't quite remember, uh, Liz Cheney was removed from her position in the House by the GOP because of her criticism of the Trump administration and the Trump rhetoric. So we shall get into that now. Let it load. Uh, today's probably going to be a bit of a longer episode, so brace yourselves. And uh, I shall do my best to try and stay on point. Um, this video is currently loading. If playback doesn't begin shortly, try restarting your device. My whole device? Yikes. And then uh, it appears that my internet connection is just like primo. Well, she was stripped of her leadership <laughs> position, we go. but she isn't planning to stop fighting for what she believes is right. Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney joins us live from Capitol Hill tonight. Uh, Congresswoman, thanks for being here. Great to be with I you, I want to start by asking you about something you know a lot about, foreign policy. And you just heard Trey Yank's comments and where you think this situation is with Isra Israelis and the Palestinians and how Iran plays into that. Well, I think it is a very serious situation. I think that it's imperative that the United States demonstrate, continue to demonstrate our commitment to, to standing with Israel. Uh, I think we're seeing the same, the same thing we've seen many, many times. Uh, Hamas, which uh, places its rockets, places its ammunition uh, in schools, uh, in hospitals, in areas where civilians are going to be killed, where civilians are going to be targeted as they launch against Israel. The horrifying thing about this is that we have about as much evidence is Hamas hiding their military equipment in these public spaces as, as much evidence as we did with Saddam Hussein and the weapons of mass destruction. So although leaders keep continually saying how Hamas is using human shield targets, the civilians, um, there's just not a lot of evidence backing that up. And that just seems to be kind of following with the story of the AP and Al Jazeera offices being bombed and Israel claiming that the Hamas leadership had a home in there, which again, there was no evidence provided. And it seems that that was a sufficient enough explanation for the United States government to not condemn the actions by the Israeli military, uh, although it killed um, 10 people, including women and children, mostly children. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's just very interesting that we keep uh, continually uh, accusing Hamas of its uh, ne'er-do-well evil doings while, um, you know, Israel is completely absolved 
um, not digging the position that most of our leadership is taking on this whatsoever. Uh, I think clearly you've you've seen uh, throughout uh, the years Iranian involvement and engagement, uh, and I think it's it's an example of how important it is for the United States uh, to be clear and to lead the world in standing with and defending Israel. Uh, there's a, it's a pretext uh, in terms of the reasons the uh, rockets began to to be launched into Israel. Israel has every right uh, to defend themselves. I do think that there's a concerning development here, which is that it seems to be not only um, Palestinians uh, versus Israelis, but you've got Israeli Arabs uh, versus uh, Jewish Israelis. And I think that that conflict is one that is concerning uh, and is a development that, that we had not seen to this extent previously in uh, some of the towns across Israel. For many years, yes. Uh, I want to talk about uh, the situation up on Capitol Hill, your political situation, your colleagues concluded that you couldn't be effective as the GOP conference chair. Because of your eagerness to challenge former President Trump on his election claims, to be honest, do you agree with them? Could you have done that job considering what you were saying and doing? You know, I think the question really is what kind of a party are we going to be going forward, Brett? Uh, and I think that it's very important for us to be a party based on truth. I think it's important for us to understand the threat that the claims the former president uh, is making. The threat is ongoing. Uh, I think we know that the kinds of language we've heard from him has caused violence in the past. And there's clearly an attempt to, to unravel the democracy, if you will, by focusing on challenging the legitimacy of the election, uh, moving us away from uh, abandoning the rule of law. And so I think that for us as Republicans, you know, we have a huge set of issues we've got to be able to defeat the Democrats over. And we've got a huge set of policies we've got to be able to implement. We have to get people to vote for us. And we can't do that if we are a party that's based on a foundation of lies. I think what right. the former president's doing is dangerous. But you and your colleagues. And I mean, that's a assessment of the situation that I actually genuinely uh, agree with on Liz Cheney here. It's extremely uh, dangerous to, um, I would say, delegitimize the institution of elections. It's really the only time that Americans really get to, um, you know, without condemnation, use their First Amendment. And it's actually the height of freedom that we uh, reach as uh, I think Kropotkin had once wrote is that it's really the only time that we are free is when we vote for our representatives and then as soon as they are sworn into office we are back to our enslavement because representation is not as good as direct democracy in fact it's proven because they introduce all of these bills that we don't necessarily vote our support for although we may be polled um, it doesn't a lot of bills that are introduced into Congress even on the local levels um, don't necessarily come into the minds of voters and aren't brought to their awareness until they're already being voted upon by their constituents. You can always, you know, get in contact to their office and say how you feel about the bill, but that has no uh, effect on whether or not that bill is going to pass. You know, with enough public pressure, there, you know, it's a possibility that you can get a bill uh, killed, but um, it's still extremely hard after they've been sworn into office and it is their job to vote on the bills that they themselves also author. So um, I would definitely say that, you know, even with my far left beliefs in that we can't really see much 
great change within the country through the electoral system. I still do uh, affirm that it is extremely dangerous in the way that Trump had delegitimized the results of the 2020 election to the point where five people died at the Capitol on January 6th. So um, I agree for the most part with Liz Cheney here, and it is a very rare moment that I would say I agree with a conservative. For at least in part, were elected to block the Biden agenda, which Republicans believe is too far left and could lead to other things. Aren't they correct to claim that your focus on the election and President Trump was somehow not going to get them to that goal? No, I, I think that's. Uh, uh, you know, I know it's like the main <laughs> the main proponent to conservatism is to kind of stonewall anything the liberals are going to try to do politically. Um, but I do think that, you know, the party can juggle multiple things at once. So uh, focusing in on making sure that the GOP retains its integrity, what little integrity it has after the George Bush administration. Um, I do think that is worth a value, especially from people like Liz Cheney and Mitt Romney, although I would never vote for these people. Um, I, I I do respect that they're focused in on holding a level of integrity where conspiracy theories and outright lies aren't the front focus of the party. It's actually wrong, Brett. I think if you look at uh, where we've been since the election, since January 6th, we've had a real focus uh, on making sure people understand that, that the Biden policies are dangerous. If you look at the impact for the people of Wyoming, banning oil and gas leases on public lands is really dangerous. It's really heartless. We've been very clear about that. What's happening at the border is very dangerous. So the issue isn't whether or not we stand against the Biden policies. The issue is, are we going to be a party that sits by silently while the former president continues to perpetuate lies about the election? And it is is the case that there are too many people uh, in the leadership of the Republican Party today uh, who've been willing not only to sit by silently, but but to help enable that, to help embolden those claims, yeah. and that's dangerous for so the country. So if you look at the numbers in Wyoming, 70% of Wyoming voted for President Trump. Actually, more people voted for President Trump than voted for you. A higher percentage uh, voted for President Trump. Now you're saying you're dedicating your life to opposing him. So why, we'll put up those numbers, why should Wyoming voters say, re-elect you when you're spending so much energy opposing him, so little opposing Biden? So, I mean, we're getting the numbers here and Trump received about, what is that, like 8,000 more votes than Cheney did, roughly. Um, I would say that that's not a huge discrepancy where Liz Cheney has to completely abandon Trump. But she is kind of showing a little bit of, I don't know, wearisome uh, or at least weariness towards the direction that the mainstream GOP is taking. So I can respect her for making that stance. Um, and I think a lot of people are actually more interested in having a Republican Party return to... Um, I, 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 it's never been that great to me, but I, from what I can tell, just focusing on its conservative nationalist beliefs without having to diverge into conspiracy theories and outright authoritarian rhetoric. Um 
so like I generally get her concern, uh, but it is unfortunate because as we are seeing time go on and and uh, with contributions from the propagandic media such as Fox News, OAN, and others, uh, we are seeing Trump being pushed as the party leader. Um, so it's you know Liz Cheney might be honestly fighting an uphill battle here, but that is her battle and the other so-called rhinos battle for them to uh, try and uh, defeat the Trump mania um my actual hope of this is that the republican party just splits and uh creates oh no so my computer i need a new computer so bad oh geez hopefully that didn't get too lost but um i hope that you know it does split the party uh and they start a new party either trump does or the um somewhat moderate what we consider moderate Republicans create a new party and the same thing for the Democrats as well. The establishment Democrats or legacy Democrats, whatever you want to call them, remain in their party while the progressives create a new party because I am a very huge proponent of abolishing the duopoly, the two party system, moving into ranked choice voting. So the splits within the party is uh, not the most detrimental situation that I could see for the United States. However, one side of the Republican Party seems to be focused in on the conspiracy theories and authoritarianism and that is of great concern of mine so although it may create a fascist like party um i think the opportunity to have multiple choices beyond two would benefit the greater voting base and i don't actually see if especially are we were able to eliminate the electoral college because of ranked choice voting then we may be able to see the opportunity of you know fascists and authoritarians getting smashed in the polls and in elections quite often so uh i am i i'm deeply interested in the party splits um you know people will say that maybe it's not a good idea for the national interest but i would say it's a good idea for the civilians because then they can truly start representing or voting for the representatives that represent them most although i still don't support representative democracy as much as i would support a system of direct democracy but we're kind of working with what we got here you know well you're wrong uh you're, no you're no i mean these are the numbers no 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 I, i'm not i'm not disputing the numbers but i'm disputing your characterization of what i'm doing i think it's really important for us to be as strong as possible in defeating the biden policies we cannot do that if we enable a lie. We cannot do that if we fail to learn the lessons from the 2020 election. And the people of Wyoming believe deeply in the Constitution. The people of Wyoming know that we must use the Constitution as our shield, that we must defend the Constitution. And so when you look at the challenge that the former president is, is presenting right now, still today, claiming that the election was stolen, claiming that our electoral process does not accurately reflect the will of the people, no remorse or regret for January 6th, continuing to use the language that we know inspired right. violence and, and in the that. past. And you've, you've, and, but and, but and I, I continue to say it, though, and, Brett. And, and but you Brett, should, I continue to say it because it, in principle. But, no, I but, get but it. it's, it's because but for it's... the people of Wyoming Brett, who are... Right. He is so adamant about interrupting her and not allowing her to finish her point. It's amazing. Electing a congressperson to fight for them and to fight against the Biden agenda, why wouldn't they say... Is this the person that's going to get it done? Uh, um, because, that's what well, your colleagues are asking. I'm going to answer the It's very fascinating now, too, is that, like, Trump is also the key to the reactionary side of uh, the Republican Party, where it's only accessible to 
properly oppose the Democratic Party through Donald Trump's kind of rhetoric and, uh, I guess, you know, um, uh, pre- presentation of character in office. So, like here, we're seeing again the propagandic machine equivocating Trump to the people populist movement and Liz Cheney as that establishment, you know, was status quo what we're used to, and why should we support that if Donald Trump was such a maverick and all of this ridiculous nonsense that furthers the idea that Trump is in fact the new head of the GOP or at least the representation, the archetype of what most of their candidates should be trying to reach and uh not good not not good at all i it's very fascinating to me because democrats are never really going to be into the idea of switching their vote into a trump-like figure and uh the republican party did see a you know a decent not 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 quite a heavy enough split but a decent split because of trump's rhetoric and uh presentation so the question. Uh, we all have an obligation, and I would say Fox News especially, especially Fox News, has a particular obligation to make sure people know the election wasn't stolen. Fox News, Fox times. News, Brett, I'm going to answer your question. Fox News needs to make no, sure that the American people, they need to make sure that the American people, Brett, you're doing the interview. I'm answering the questions. We need to make sure that <laughs> gonna, the American people uh, recognize uh, and understand that the election wasn't stolen, that we shouldn't perpetuate the big lie, and that there's real danger. You know, I've worked in countries around the world where we don't have peaceful transitions of power. And, and all of us who are elected officials have got to uh, make sure that we obey and abide by the oath that we swore to the Constitution. I understand. And the, the peaceful transition of power is key to that. Now, if you want to, if you're asking me about my constituents. My constituents believe firmly in the rule of law. They believe firmly in the Constitution. They know that we do not swear allegiance to any individual. Okay, and that it's, let me ask it's you this. crucially important. And you've made this if point. We, I'm going to make another point. It's crucially important if we want to be able to defeat the really bad Biden policies. We have to attract voters back to us. Do we have to be able believe? to attract voters. <laughs> My favorite part is that they called this like, um, you know, Brett Bear uh, grills Liz Cheney when it's much more of Brett Bear continually like continually interrupts Liz Cheney. It's so much more him interrupting than actually grilling her. I would definitely say that this is a um an aggressive interview, but it's mostly of him not listening to her answers. And I'm not a huge fan of Liz Cheney, uh, and an even less fan of her father. Um, but this is a very interesting uh, interview in the way of how they titled it and framed it, because this isn't grilling. This is just straight up like interrupting and not listening to the answers. Hmm. Great. And- voters who left yeah. us by making clear we know the election wasn't stolen and we are going to abide by the rule of law. Do you believe that America is better off with President Biden than President Trump? I believe that President Trump's policies, which I supported 93% of the time, were much better for America. Now, that isn't the issue, though. The issue- Yeah, but the thing is, though, is that like the main difference between Trump and Biden isn't necessarily even on the fiscal spending or um, any like policy that would affect us domestic citizens. It's mostly on the xenophobic 
kind of bigotry type of language. So she can say that she agrees with the policies, but I would be very interested on which policies that she agrees with on Trump and disagrees with on Biden, because I feel like it's mostly going to be dealing with immigrants and the transgender situation more than it is about, you know, tax policy or infrastructure, military spending, you know, any of that stuff that really hasn't changed since Biden took office. The issue is whether or not we abide by the rule of law. Did you vote whether for Joe Biden? Not, what, I did not. Whether, and I <laughs> like, how, how much of a traitor are you? <laughs> okay, cool. Not, and I would not vote for a Democrat ever. The issue is... But then, like, like, what does that say? Like, I would never vote for a Democrat ever. Like, she said that you shouldn't be loyal to, like, one person but yet you should be loyal to one conservative party which the conservative party are taking all of their chips for the most part because there's less rhinos like traitors of donald trump than there are uh, loyalists so it's just very funny here that she says well i'll always keep my chips on the republican table when it's just like you obviously don't want for whatever is actually best for uh, the American citizens and what's best for the American citizens is whatever the conservative party conjures up. So here again, me and Liz Cheney are starting to diverge from each other's, uh, from, from agreeing with each other because I um, do not like loyalty to one uh, political party over the other. I think that's extremely dangerous and narrow-sided. And I think the, you know, the idea of parties is even kind of toxic in itself. So um, not great in the direction this interview has taken, but she has to prove to Fox viewers that she is still Republican strong. Whether or not we are going to stand up for the rule of law and stand up for the Constitution. That is above partisanship. It's above politics. And um, I think that Americans across. It's so funny that she says that, like being above partisanship. And then just like five seconds earlier says she would never vote for a Democrat. What? Wyoming and across the country know we have to be a party of truth. We've got to be a party that stands for substance. We have to be the party of Reagan that looks at a strong national defense, low taxes, limited government. Yeah, but Reagan wasn't a party of truth. Are you kidding me? And I don't know the last time the Republican Party has been a party of truth because, you know, we can give all the credit to uh, Abraham Lincoln for being the uh, light giver to the Republican Party, which was the party that started up from the Whigs in order to abolish slavery. But even um, in his original campaign, Abraham Lincoln had ran on conspiracy theories, the conspiracy theory that if slavery was to be allowed, that eventually the South would enslave the North and not even just their African-American population which was pretty much enslaved around the entire country but all citizens of the north so he used that and fear-mongered the idea which wasn't very successful and he had to change his campaign uh further on down the line so he eventually gave up the conspiracy theory but uh i really can't think of a time when either parties have been the so-called truth-telling parties because there seems to be like this platonic uh like you know plato kind of philosophy that goes through politicians is that they know better uh uh for the citizens than the citizens themselves and that's why they're anointed to these leadership positions it's very uh, Plato 
Plato-esque in the way that, you know, you're born into it's that, that caste system. You're born into leadership roles and thus you are divinely chosen to lead. And so, you know, better than everyone else. And that's why we live in a representative democracy, because if we had a direct democracy, then citizens would be able to really choose for themselves, which we're obviously not capable of because our education is so poor. <sighs> yep. Yeah, and it, it lives on in both parties. I'm not saying this is just a conservative problem. I do think it is mostly a um, representative democracy problem. So We have to be about ideas, not about a cult of personality to one man who launched a violent attack on the Capitol right. and who continues to say the election was stolen. And I agree with that, but like they anoint Reagan to the same exact pedestal and she even said it earlier that we need to return to the reagan type of politics which you know boom you put reagan on a pedestal and said that's the way we need to go we need to follow that cult leader um well like you know they always rail against liberalism even though reagan was one of the you know uh pioneers of neoliberalism and we haven't had a non-neoliberalist president uh since then um so <sighs> Again, I just like she says that we need to be the party of ideas and uh, what ideas have they offered in so long other than reactionary opposition to whatever uh, the liberal party wants to do? Because I'm genuinely curious. I would love to know what Republicans offer that is a bold, maybe even possibly radical idea that the Democrats seem to be um, avoiding because I just I don't see any of it. I've seen Republicans being just completely reactionary to any liberalist policy so i'm going to read you a tweet here it is republicans deserve leadership that represents the views of their constituents not their own personal vendettas we need leaders in congress that stand up for conservative republican ideology liz cheney is not that leader so instead of training fire on the president she really should have been training fire on biden and that agenda that's what you want out of your leadership and unfortunately she didn't rise to that challenge you know who that tweet is george p bush the nephew of President Bush, um, who tweeted that out yesterday. And why should we exactly care what George P. Bush says? That's like, that's my uh, main contention here is like, why should we care what a Bush says? Um, especially when he's signaling that I would much rather be loyal to Trump than uh, criticize him. Because it's it's like, for some reason, you can't criticize Biden and criticize Trump. It has to be either or. That's the, the line in the sand for some conservatives here. And still, ultimately, why should I care what George P. Bush thinks or says? That is a feeling, as you know, and you've heard it from your colleagues. So how do you react to that? Well, he's misinformed. Uh, I think that, you know, when you, when you look at what we're facing as a nation... Uh, there is, is nothing that we need to do as Republicans that is more important than have a strong Republican Party that can attract back the voters that we lost in 2020. Uh, and that means that we have to be in a position where we are being clear. We stand for the rule of law. Yeah. We stand for it, it, Brett, every time I say. See, and this is why, like, Liz Cheney's honestly on a hill that is extremely to get over and that she may have to actually die on because Trump actually increased significantly the amount of voters that came out for the Republican Party and also um, the demographics of Trump's um, 
uh, like Trump's uh, voters was quite surprising. I don't think it's actually because of Trump himself. I think it more contributed was contributed by news pundits uh, that, you know, have those diverse backgrounds that were uh, loyal to Trump and were uh, convincing people who within their uh, their own groups to, you know, switch from whatever parties they were on or even got them interested into being in politics in order to defend Trump's power. Um, but yeah, I think Liz Cheney here is incredibly mistaken and is underestimating the power of the Trump party. Hey, we stand for the rule of law. You say, yeah, yeah, you've said that. No, like, no, it's no, but you important. have said the same exact thing numerous times. And I understand it's important. But it's very important. No, I'm asking just a numerous questions. You said recently that you'd be open to challenging uh, former President Trump in 2024 if that's what it took to keep him from winning again. Tomorrow morning you're talking to New Hampshire today. So are you running for president? Uh, I am not, Brett. Uh, what I think is really important is that we make sure uh, that uh, the former president... But the reason why Liz says that she's not running right now is because it's way too early to announce a campaign. Way too early, so... Because we know what he's capable of, because we know what he continues to do, and because we know how important it is for us to be able to advance Republican ideals, that we make sure that he never again get anywhere near the Oval Office. I think that's crucial. And I think it's crucial that we begin to build the kind of coalition we need so that we can defeat Joe Biden, so that we can defeat Nancy Pelosi, so we can defeat Chuck Schumer, so the Republicans... But that's the thing, is that, like, repeated years over and over again, these, like, status quo establishment conservatives are losing votes. They're losing constituents. They're losing support. Donald Trump made a wave because he was anti-PC culture. He was anti-SJW. He said the quiet parts loudly, and then he also opposed Democrats with the fierceness of, you know, uh, McCarthy in the 1940s and 50s. So, you know, there's um, there's a lot going against Liz Cheney in her perspective. Um, and I'm not saying that the perspective going against her is right or that I support it. I just definitely think that she's underestimating the value and uh, power that Trump has over the conservative party. And it's very unfortunate because it's still selling this idea that conservatives are reasonable and rational. And even the reasonable and rational conservatives pre-Trump led us into an endless war that we still have not left. We've been in it for 20 years. It led to a housing crisis that crashed the global market. So, um, you know, we can try to argue for reincarnating the conservative party that has have led us to so many of the social crises that we see but it's not going to work and and we will watch that uh, slowly prove itself as we get into 2024 and a Trump-like figure is able to best the Democrats because they will not do nearly enough in order to retain their power come 2022 and 2024 and we will see the resurgence of a Trump-like figure who will then continue progressing the conservative party to further right-wing ideals can actually take control again but that requires getting back voters that we lost in 2020 and frankly that we lost in 2018 uh, uh, with uh, Donald Trump in the Oval Office. Yeah. So you mentioned Schumer and uh, Pelosi. Uh, take a listen to this. Liz Cheney spoke truth to power and now they're firing her. What would a patriot do 
a patriot would do what Liz Cheney has done. And she's paid a heavy price for it. For her courage, for her patriotism. And uh, I wish her well. Uh, perhaps this challenge will make her stronger. Are you comfortable with all of these Democrats singing your praises <laughs> day after you know, day? Brett, look, what we're talking about, these issues uh, of the Constitution <laughs> and the rule of law, uh, should be above politics. Because you see exactly what I mean? Like, you should be so opposed to Democrats and liberals that, like, any moment that they actually like what you're doing, you should stop what you're doing and reconsider your position, which is basically the question that Brett just asked her. And that is terrible. That is just utterly terrible and tells us that, like, for the most part, the conservative party has no interest in anything bipartisan or at least publicly viewed bipartisanship. It's really about that loyalty to the party as a whole and at this point it is loyal to trump and thus you must be loyal to trump it should be above partisanship it should be above party every single one of us everyone watching this show everybody who works at fox everybody who's elected uh, to office all of us have to love our country more and that means that there are moments when you have to put politics aside when you have to say i will not be part of unraveling the democracy that is a fundamentally important thing the most fundamentally important thing we do obeying the rule of law standing up for the constitution uh, and i think that we would all be better off as a country uh, frankly if more of us said we're going to stand for the constitution we're going to defend the rule of law let's have a vigorous debate about substance and policy those are really important issues and i i disagree about just about everything with all of those people that you just showed but those substantive policy debates need to be conducted in a way that is worthy of the people that have fought for our freedom, worthy of the people who have died for our freedom, and that reflects who we are as a nation. You know, we, we yeah. need to be proud of our ideals, and we need to know we have the better ideas, and that's how we beat the Democrats. Some Republicans share your concerns about former President Trump and his false claims about the election. Um, they believe, though, it's a mistake to challenge him directly. They think it's much better, privately they'll tell you, to have him fade away somehow. Are they wrong? They are. Uh, I think that the, the, the danger... Yeah, how incredibly dumb is it to just say, don't pay attention to Trump, when obviously like he has meetings with like Ted Cruz at Mar-a-Lago. He has meetings with other representatives that are still within the party seeking his guidance or his influence. So like it's ri ridiculous to say, hey, just don't pay attention to Trump, but you only say that to the public who you know has no way of having a meeting with Trump. And so then we should also ignore when the conservative party and their members have meetings with Trump. We should just all ignore him and he'll just go away because that's that's just how it's going to work. And obvious, like, honestly, our our opportunity to forget about Trump was in 2016. Um, but rather, the entire media decided to give him all the airtime in the world. And now we're stuck with him. So that the former president poses um, is too great for us to simply hope for the best. And I also think that it's really incumbent upon those of us who are in positions to be able to talk to the American people, talk to the people of, of our states, talk to the people of our districts to tell the truth. You know, when, when you talk about the extent to which the big lie has taken hold, um, part of that is because people have just sort of said, well, we're going to ignore it and we're going to move on. Um, but but too many people are embracing the former president and enabling that lie. And that lie okay. is toxic to our democracy. Last year, many in the media and in Washington, including you, 
amplified anonymous sources, uh, stories claiming that President Trump ignored intelligence that Russians were paying bounties to kill Americans in Afghanistan. We've since learned that that intelligence was pretty shoddy, poorly sourced. Do you regret taking part in spreading that story? No, I think actually if you look at the details of the story, Brett, you'll see that the intelligence community um, has made a, a recommendation about that intelligence. They've talked about having low confidence. I think if you go back and look at what I said, every single thing I said, I said if those stories are true, we need to know why the president and the vice president were not briefed on them uh, and, and made very clear that we were concerned. I remain concerned about the role of the Russian government in Afghanistan, the role of the Russians in terms of uh, working against our interests right. around the world. But you so, pointed uh, to President Trump. But and my Brett, point is, is you were GOP conference chair, and I'm just articulating what some of your colleagues have said, that they thought that that was a moment where they thought that your focus on the former president was more important to you than articulating GOP uh, talking points agenda and what yeah. they wish to do. Yeah. Well, I, I think <laughs> you really ought to go check your facts, Brett, because he was the sitting president at that time, uh, not the former president. No, and, the president. And, and, and I think if you if you look at what I said, I said, and you can pull up that tweet too. I said, if these reports are true, then the White House must explain why they did not brief the president or vice president. So, you know, I remain concerned about the intelligence. I think you will see if you go back and look at the facts about yeah. what the intelligence community has said. Uh, they, they have not said those reports are not true. They have said that they've got low confidence. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing to be concerned about. We really appreciate you coming on. I thank you for taking the hard questions. We'll follow it. Um, all the way, all angles Good. here on Special I look forward Report. to it. Thank you Thanks, very much. Brett. We'll be right Hey, Sean Hannity here. So although I disagree with Liz Cheney fundamentally on a lot of things, I do like how she um, operated in that interview. But what I find very fascinating about this as well is that she's, you know, kind of been targeted by the conservative party for not being quite conservative enough. And then, you know, that just implies that what what is the 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 peak conservative? And we heard Donald Trump multiple times, but uh, he's not in office, so he doesn't necessarily represent the party uh, too much. Just the, you know, the memory of him is what they're feeding off of now. The nostalgia of remember when member Trump uh, but if we scroll down here, let me see, let me see, where did I put it? It's down here. This is Marjorie Green Taylor. This video just came out recently. Um, and she was outside of AOC's office in 2019 with a couple of people acting extremely childish. So let's get that clip. Yes. <laughs> This is, this is Ocasio confession right there. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm an American citizen. Oops. Give me one second. Confession Enter. session. This is confession. <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that they're talking through the mail slot of her door. Like, this is just peak childishness. <laughs> This is this is Ocasio confession right there. What? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, I'm an American citizen. I pay your salary through the taxes that you collect from me through the IRS because I'm a tax paying citizen of the United States. I'm a woman, I'm a female business owner, and I'm proud to be an American woman. 
and I do not support your socialist policies, and I do not support your murderous abortion policies. As a mother of three children, I'm appalled at New York's law for abortion, and it needs to end and it needs to stop now. You're bringing God's judgment on our country, and I'm against it, as well as my friends. So you need to stop being a baby and stop locking your door and come out and face the American citizens that you serve. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens instead of us having to use a flap. A little. I'm not even sure that she was actually in her office. A since-deleted video from 2019 shows Marjorie Taylor Greene harassing AOC's office through a locked door, calling her crazy eyes and telling her through the office's mailbox slot to get rid of your diaper while telling the office to open the door and come out. Uh, I'm not even sure that she's actually in there. I can click the article after this, but I just want to highlight here, this is the person that they're allowing to pretty much do whatever she wants and represent the party in doing such. Whereas Liz Cheney, um, gets reprimanded for speaking ill of the Trump administration. So this, it's just very interesting developments coming from the conservative party. Flat. It's kind of like her. She's kind Sad. Of flappy. She's like, she keeps flapping her gums. Oh, flappy, flappy. This is like child games. This is, this is oh, child session. Session. <laughs> Like, it's so weird. They're peeking Hashtag. through. AOC? The mail slot, like this, is incredibly <laughs> creepy, sad, it's pathetic. Creepy. Like, I like how they say it's creepy that she's in her office, but it's not yeah, creepy man. that they're trying to spy through Guess it what? through the mail slot. Can't stand there forever. Can you come out and play? And then quoting the Warriors, like like the movie The Warriors. Like this is just so weird. It is very weird, and it's strange to me that the GOP just allows MTG to just walk around and represent their party as if she's the uh, the epitome of uh, the GOP currently. And it is going to be a dark day in America when she announces her candidacy for president. Oh God, I know it's coming. <laughs> All right, so we were, I guess she got the message before we came here. Guys, if you want to come to yeah. uh, visit the socialist, communist, you're, you're very good artist. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to decorate, you know? This is her book where we sign This is her signing book, and I'm just signing it. Yeah, harassing someone outside of the door is yeah. being an immature child. Where is it? Is there another pen? We really want to draw drawing, a wall. So let's drawing draw in the, the in her like sign-in book. That's not childish this either. Like, it's just so amazing to me, too, how thirsty uh, for AOC's attention Marjorie is. Like, incredibly thirst energy coming from a representative in Congress. Um, and I've never seen, like, a substantial idea or policy position presented from mtg not a single one and she's like even so thirsty to get her into a debate on the green new deal um posting on twitter about it showing videos of her talking to aoc on the congress floor it's just very weird um, during a February 2019 visit to congressional offices at the U.S. Capitol with associates who included a man who would later enter the Capitol during the j6 insurrection uh, Marjorie Green, then a conservative activist, so she wasn't actually even in Congress yet, can be seen taunting Ocasio-Cortez's uh, staff outside the Congresswoman's locked office by talking through a mailbox slot, urging her to come out. 
Uh, do 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 I'm still looking on whether or not she was even in her office. When Green and her companions arrive at the office, Ocasio-Cortez's office door is locked. Standing outside of the office, Green and her associates taunt uh, Ocasio-Cortez's staff through the mailbox, mocking the staff for keeping the door locked. Um, so far, doesn't look like Alexandria was in her office at all. Uh, then Green talks to the slot, do, 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 to the staff, urging them to unlock the door and let her and her cohorts inside, which, n- no. Um, let's see. In an email to CNN after publication, Green said, quote, members of Congress in all Living government- in Colorado Whoa. means you're busy, you're active, Come and you're outdoors on. a lot. CNN, do not hit me with a random ass ad like that. How dare you? Jesus. Let's see. As I was saying, quote from Marjorie Green, members of Congress and all government employees are employed by the taxpayers of this country holding the uh course. Like this website is just so trash. It just like loaded and then skipped from where I was. Holding the government accountable to the people is what I've always believed in. On the Hill Friday, Ocasio-Cortez told reporters that Green is, quote, deeply unwell and clearly needs help, and her kind of fixation has lasted for several years now. Adding that this raised concerns for other members, I think that is that this is an assessment that needs to be made by the proper professional unquote ocasio-cortez also tweeted about the incident friday arguing that green's behavior supported is supported by gop leadership because house minority leader kevin mccarthy quote has worked to protect this person from consequences including pretending he doesn't see it unquote so yeah so far it doesn't look like she was in the office at all so like in even more incredibly childish to be harassing her staff members. And yeah, like I said, the GOP is just turning a blind eye to Marjorie Green Taylor, who really has no substantial policy statements to say whatsoever. She is almost just this like media figure who is constantly putting out reactionary tweets and uh, just genuinely trying to go viral on every opportunity she gets because she is not a politician. She is a thirsty media personality. That is my genuine assumption of MTG, and it's very, very unfortunate that the GOP allows her to be a party member. So, moving on from that uh, sad, sad clip, um, we're going to get into Fox News interviewing Mike Pompeo. This happened just an hour ago. Let's get it. Fox's alert, fresh violence rocking the Middle East, Israel launching waves of airstrikes against Gaza after the Iranian-backed terror group Hamas fires rockets into southern Israel. It all comes as President Biden tells Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu that he supports a ceasefire and progressive Democrats push for the U.S. to stop a $735 million weapons sale to Israel. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. So I like how they're using... Uh right now the quote from biden saying we need a ceasefire as if that is um worthy negative criticism of biden's position on the israel-palestine conflict um unfortunately they don't quote biden when he said that israel has a right to defend itself which did uh earn its you know well-deserved ire from the far left twitter heads uh, mainly because that isn't a sufficient amount of condemnation. Um, it, in fact, it's almost support of what's going on in Israel-Palestine. So um, very unfortunate 
in the direction that we're going, but it's still very fascinating to me that Fox News has to portray him as the bad guy, even when he's taking probably the exact same position that uh, Donald Trump would take, but Trump probably wouldn't uh, say a ceasefire is necessary. Uh, Joe Biden is saying a ceasefire is necessary because uh, the Democratic Party and most, of, like as far as voters go, do not support in Israel's actions. So uh, do with that as you will. I just think their framing is off and very interesting. Pompeo is a Fox News contributor. Uh, you know, I wanted to. Oh ask dear you God! He he actually got moved from the State Department to Fox News contributor. Like that's his actual job title now. Like, wow! Just like straight from office into propaganda machine. Like wow, Mike. Wow. Uh, like what else could I expect? He's the former director of the CIA. So. Cool. About this, um, listen to Ro Khanna. He's a congressman, of course, from California. This is what he says from his perspective. This is not the time for platitudes. Children are dying, and Netanyahu, who is desperate to cling to power, is out there saying that he is doing this with the United States' support. The president needs to make it very clear. No, you are not. President Biden did not go that far, but yesterday for the first time around 5.30 p.m., uh, we found out that he told Netanyahu he does support a ceasefire. Get your thoughts on that. Well, Dana, we all like to see the loss of life end, but there's no moral equivalence here. That's the, that's the mistake that Congressman Kahana makes. Mike Pompeo is a Zionist, by the way, and Zionism is a philosophy that Israel shall, or the Jewish, uh, the nation... Show, or I guess the, the Jewish people should return to their nation of Israel. And the Zionist movement has also backed uh, Israel's colonization of Palestine, turning it into Israel, and have done very little in humanitarian aid for the Palestinians. So, yeah, I just want to get you a little bit familiar of where he's at. I think even Joe Biden not too long well, not that it's not too long ago. He said decades ago that he too was a Zionist. So um, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of our government actually is. The United States uh, as a state, as a state institution supports Israel for the most part. And it's very unfortunate because what we're seeing at this point is not a conflict. It's more like a genocide. So. You talked about Hamas as being an Iranian-backed terror group. It's an ideological group. Its entire strategy depends on killing civilians in Israel, so the Israelis will have to respond, and then the world will uh, crush the Israelis. That's, that's their mission statement. They want to wipe Israel from the face of the earth. The Israelis are simply trying to defend themselves. Prime Minister Netanyahu is trying to defend Israel. And, you know, it's... Uh... Hamas doesn't represent every Palestinian, um, but it is unfortunate because Hamas has been the major influencer in Palestine since the violence of Israel has increased over uh, the past decade. Um, every time Israel bombs buildings, Hamas finds itself getting more support from the Palestinian citizens because they are the only ones defending the Palestinian citizens. Um, so it's it's um, it's almost Stockholm syndrome because I think ultimately they don't want Hamas to be in power. They wouldn't want such a radical Islamic uh, regime. I would I w I would simply guess, but it's very unfortunate in the situation that they found themselves in because it is it is an oppressor versus the oppressed dichotomy. So you can condemn uh, you know Hamas's and Palestinians actions because murdering and war is ugly and has never been in the right but what we're really looking at here are people trying to defend themselves in a uh, situation of survival 
Uh, I, I don't think Israel is defending itself necessarily in a situation of survival. I think Israel is much more aggressive in its interests of taking over the rest of Israel or taking over the rest of Palestine and forming it as Israel. So uh, the framing here is coming off very disingenuous. Arabs and Jews and Christians and Muslims alike. And he's trying to make sure he doesn't kill civilians. Israel has very fascinating remark there. So uh, Hamas doesn't have accurate targeting. They have rocket launchers, which they do launch into Israel and it has killed civilians. And this is not OK. I do not condone that behavior, um, although I do understand where it's coming from. The thing is, though, is that Israel does have targeting missiles. They have very precise actions that they have been making. And you can say that Netanyahu is not wanting to kill civilians, but uh, in the past week, they have. They have killed uh, over 100. So, you know, you can say that Israel doesn't want to or is not trying to, but even with their precise missile bombing with airplanes, F-16s, they are killing civilians. So even if they're saying that they're not trying to, they are. Um, and it's at a far greater level than Hamas is doing to them. So um, this apologetic, you know, kind of rhetoric here is a little bit disgusting because it's so one-sided and feeds into the genocide of Palestinians who have also not received any relief from the COVID-19 uh, virus. They don't even get vaccinations from the Israeli government and uh, blockade uh, from Israel also blocks them from getting uh, a significant amount of humanitarian aid. So what we are looking at is more of a mass massacre genocide than an actual conflict or battle or war. Every right to do all that it needs, not only to defend itself against the current rocket attacks, but to make sure that the kind of attack can never happen again. They need to complete that mission. It's absolutely essential for the security of... And Mike Pompeo says that it's absolutely okay for Israel to s ensure that rocket attacks never happen again. And my question to Mike Pompeo is, is that w what would that entail? Because the only way for uh, the resistance from Palestinians to stop is either the complete subjugation of them, the criminalization of Palestinians, which has already happened to a large extent that Gaza is considered the largest open air prison in the entire world. Um, or just the complete elimination of Palestinians. You can't have Palestinians fighting back if they're all killed. So. It's it's horrifying colonial mindset here that is coming into play that is really making the case for Israel to commit a ethnic cleansing. So we'll demonize the shit out of uh, China doing this to Uyghur Muslims by moving them in trainloads to re-education camps. But when it comes to bombing women and children in Gaza Strip or the West Bank, well, that's just Israel defending itself. Israel that they do so. Well, the policies you help push uh, while serving with President Trump are in uh, the line of fire, so to speak. New York Times, here's what they write. Violent shakes Trump's boast of a new Middle East. They go on to say the accords that uh, Trump helped negotiate, the Abraham Accords, were widely seen as demonstrating declining interest on the part of some of Israel's Arab neighbors and backing the Palestinians, giving Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel more latitude to pursue strategies that further intensified Israeli-Palestinian tensions, which essentially are saying is you, you open the door for Netanyahu to do what he wants. Your response. 
And they did, and they really showed their support prior to the Abraham Accords with moving the uh, United States Embassy from Tel Aviv, which was much closer to the West Bank, and moving it into Jerusalem, which is the capital city of Israel. Um, That actually showed massive amounts of support. The Palestinians came out and protested, to which the IDF then killed, um, I think, about 18 protesters, if I'm not mistaken, injuring uh, over 100 more. So um, and there was no condemnation from the Trump administration whatsoever for the way that they had treated Palestinian protesters. In fact, it was quite deafening with how much they weren't speaking about it. So, yeah, no, they definitely got a lot of passes from the Trump administration. That's crazy leftist talk that has always been pro-Palestinian. What, what we did was create the situation where Israel had the right to defend itself. The United States made clear that this, the, what six presidents in a row did declare Iran a state sponsor of terror would be responded to in a serious way. So we withdrew from the JCPOA and then we delivered. And he didn't even tell that in order either. They they pulled out of the Iran nuclear deal and then um, made a, a Iran's official military a designated terrorist organization. So um, that's not the, the right order of way that the diplomacy broke down. Uh, it was actually the other way around. And it was pretty obvious that the Trump administration and the conservative party are much more antagonistic to uh, Iran. But that might be more consistent just through the military department than actual, you know, whoever the administration is, because I'm not seeing much improvement as far as the Biden administration, he does seem to kind of like take the public appearance that he's interested in opening talks with Iran, but yet the, the talks aren't really materializing into much. And then we're still getting these weird warning shots and skirmishes between the two. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, either President Biden or, you know, if eventually down the line, President Kamala Harris, I wouldn't be surprised if either of them actually get us into war uh, with Iran built off of the pretext that the Trump administration had built for them. So um, you know, it might not even be them. We might see the White House turn red yet again and be uh, much quicker to war with uh, Iran. I think if Trump had been reelected, it would be a much more it would be I would be a lot more certain of us getting into a war with Iraq, whether or not Iraq, Iran in this year or the next, uh, especially since they airstriked the general <laughs> of their military, which does not show uh, any amount of good faith towards diplomatic talks with the Iranian government. So, um, yeah, that's that's my perspective on it so far. I don't really think uh, Biden's going to uh, reignite the uh, nuclear deal. I, I think it's more likely that we're going to see conflict with Iran in the near future, which I am completely opposed to. Um, I don't like Iran's regime, but I also don't like American imperialism. So that's that's where I'm at. The Abraham Accords, where peace-loving people throughout the Middle East understood that foreign policy couldn't depend, their foreign policy couldn't depend on having Israel as their primary adversary. Indeed, their economies, their military depended on a good relationship with Israel. What what changed, Bill, is that this country under President Biden is now sitting at the table with the Iranians. We're in Vienna, mm-hmm. talking about how many billions of dollars—two, five, seven, ten—we're going to give to the Iranians. That money is the same money that gets funneled to groups like Hamas, groups like Hezbollah, who is watching this very closely, groups like the Palestinian Islamic Jihad. We're going to give money to the very Iranian regime 
that is backing in a terrorist that is launching missiles into Israel today. This is crazy stuff. Yeah, we're going to have to keep an eye yeah, on Yeah, but we're also like thinking of giving $735 million to a regime that bombs women and children. What are we talking about here, Mike? On that because they are you're exactly right they're in, at the table in Vienna while all of this is going on uh, can I take you back a little bit in time just about a year ago um, when there were some headlines that were making the rounds of course you were a part of these headlines um, in regards to oh what a pivot where COVID started and the oh, idea that what it a might pivot. have started in a lab oh, was God. Um, mentioned and quite ridiculed by uh, the press saying that you uh, I honestly don't know why they like name their videos Pompeo says Biden is sitting the table with Iran and then move into a COVID dis discussion it would just be great if like they put up like Pompeo comments on Iran and COVID uh, origins rather because like that just this doesn't have anything to do with the heading of the segment and so like why are we pivoting are we just killing time is this a news story that you're really pushing on multiple levels and by having mock Mike Pompeo also speak on this that like that way it's also gonna give legitimacy to the claims like what what are we doing Ugh. provided no evidence of that and today that story that question is very much once again at the forefront with the real possibility of that lab being the point of origin Dangest thing, Dana. I remember. I remember coming home and I got notes from friends saying, are you sure? Because the left, the left wanted to deny that it was possible that this is what had actually happened. They were adopting what was essentially Chinese Communist Party propaganda, right? The Chinese came out very hard. What? They wanted to make clear that this didn't come from their laboratory. Indeed, you'll remember too, Dana, they at one point pointed to the United States as the source of this virus. They were doing... Oh, yeah. I, I do remember that there was like a claim that it had come from the United States military and then infected citizens of Wuhan. So, yeah. Um, but just because the Chinese government claims a falsehood doesn't mean that we should also try to find falsehoods to blame on the Chinese government. I think we should be much more concerned with the truth and having a well-informed public. So it's still weird that Mike Pompeo is feeding the narrative of this conspiracy theory when there's not enough evidence to back it up. So Everything they could stuff. to cover up and to deflect. Look, the Chinese Communist Party was actively engaged in viral research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. While I can't... Yep, because that's what the, that's what the Institute's for was to uh, to to research viruses and it also had um, teams international teams also contributing to the uh, understanding of viruses and I'm sure we have other locations that do the same exact thing yes uh-huh and can't prove it every piece of evidence and you've seen scientists wait, today wait, wait, come wait, out wait, saying wait, we need wait, more what? what was actively engaged in viral research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology while I can't prove it Every piece of evidence, and you've seen scientists today come out saying we need more investigation. Every piece of evidence points to a leak from this laboratory. That's the, it's all circumstantial to be sure. The people who could. Even whether or not it was a leak from the laboratory doesn't mean that it's like a manufactured virus that was intended to infect people, which is what like the epitome of the con conspiracy theory is trying to get people to believe. And so although he won't uh, back the complete falsehood of the conspiracy theory, he still feeds enough to the narrative that it may or may not be true. 
And we could do that with any situation because we're not there. We don't have enough information and conspiracy theories tend to usually thrive most when we don't have enough information or evidence to fully complete the story. So we start kind of filling in those holes with what we consider to be the conspiracies. So while he said that there is, he doesn't have enough proof, he still says that there's enough evidence to warrant further investigation, which I'll agree with, but that doesn't mean that you should be pushing the narrative forward as if it is the most likely when you just said earlier that you have no proof. You see the issue here. It's, it's, it's almost double thing. It's like, I have no proof of the existence of God, but there's plenty of evidence. But then you can't tell people that God exists. You can say that he may or may not. Don't don't feed that if you don't have the evidence to back up your claim. It's pretty simple. To clean this up, the people who could answer these questions have refused to do so. The Chinese Communist Party knows where this came from. They know who patient zero was. They could fix this. If I'm wrong, they could embarrass Mike Pompeo. Come on. What do you mean they could fix this? Like, like that, like that's also implicating that they created the virus. And so that they're also keeping the cure somewhere. And this, like, it's this kind of mentality that when we face our next viral outbreak, our next pandemic or epidemic, where we've kind of faced one every like seven years or so uh, of a virus being having an outbreak, like we're not going to have great responses in this when we're continually feeding a conspiracy theory that has no validity to it whatsoever. It's this isn't empowering the people. It's the same type of, you know, mission that a lot of disinformation people do is that they just muddle the waters enough so that you can't have a clear consensus and you keep us fighting and that there's no act true action that we can take and we just have to rely on our leaders to get us through the darkness. That's it's a horrible way of informing the public. Bring it. Uh, show the world that this didn't come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They're not going to do that, Dana, because they know that they covered this up in the same way that Chernobyl was covered up for so long. And we saw the same results. Millions of people dead. Oh. I mean, even if the Chinese government comes out with what would be considered the truth of the uh, origins of the coronavirus, even though that's really arbitrary at this point, um, it's not like the conservative party or Mike Pompeo is going to believe them. <laughs> so uh, no matter what story the Chinese communist party comes out with, if it isn't that it leaked from a Wuhan lab of them meddling, seeing what could be the most infectious virus, they're not going to buy it. They, they want the communist party to come off with, come up with the most evil narrative that they tried to control the entire global population through a pandemic. That That's the only narrative that they want to come out of this. Um, so that's that's really cool. I was hoping that was going to stay on point because the rest of the video is going to be about uh, Israel. Um, but uh, I wanted to play this clip before we get into the PragerU stuff. This comes from a 10-year-old girl in, in Gaza. I'm always sick. I'm always, I don't know. I can't do anything. You see all of this. What, what do you expect me to do? Fix it? I'm only 10. I can't even do anything in this morning. I just want to be a doctor or anything to help my people, my cat. I'm just a cat. I don't even know what to do. I get scared, but not really that much. I get, I do anything for my people, but I don't know what to do. I'm just 10. 
I'm just ten. All of this, when I see it, I will cheery cry every day, saying to myself, why do we deserve this? Why? What did we do to this? My family said they just, they, they just hate us. They just don't like us because we are Muslims. Why does Muslims act for you like that? all of the kids around me, they're just kids. Why wouldn't you just send a missile to them and kill them? It's not fair. It's not fair. A truly heartbreaking video that unfortunately will not be met with compassion when we get into these PragerU videos. Oh boy. Yeah, so while Mike Pompeo is defending the destruction of that 10-year-old girl's life, uh, I say we consider it and taking it into our own perspectives so we have two years they have a lot of <laughs> a lot of israel videos so i'll try to uh pick out some uh especially ones that i haven't seen yet wow there is a lot prager you wow holy crap where do i even begin all right um geez uh hmm i guess we'll start with the middle east problem when i did my graduate studies at the middle east institute at columbia university's school of international affairs i took many courses on the question of the middle east conflict semester after semester we studied the middle east conflict as if it was the most complex conflict in the world when in fact, it is probably the easiest conflict in the world to explain. It may be the hardest to solve, but it is the easiest to explain. In a nutshell, it's this. All right, you shouldn't believe somebody who says that I can look at any war, I can look at this war and easily explain it to you. That's, um, that's a red flag. What he just said was extremely a, a red flag because if fixing it is complex, but explaining how we got to this position isn't uh, genuinely concerned, that's a, that's a red flag for sure. One side wants the other side dead. Israel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just the Muslims that want Israelis dead. It's not after they've been settled and colonizing that space. That has nothing to do with it. So, of course, you know, removing context is actually going to make things a lot simpler. Okay, yeah. I get your point now, Prager. Israel wants to exist as a Jewish state and to live in peace. Israel also recognizes the right of Palestinians to have their own state and to live in peace. So then why hasn't it been uh, like accepted since 1947? Why, why have the borders been redrawn time and time and time again since 1947, continually giving Israelis more and more of the Palestinian land and uh, displacing more and more Palestinians over time? Well, why is that? The problem, however, is that most Palestinians and many other Muslims and Arabs do not recognize the right of the Jewish state of Israel to exist. Which is weird because um, the Quran and, you know, Christianity, the Bible, they both have their origins with the Torah. Um, they're both inspired by the Torah a lot. So to say that most Muslims hate uh, Jewish people and Israel, um, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to back up that claim as if he's going to give us any whatsoever other than the fact that Palestinians have been fighting a, fighting back against Israel for decades on top of the fact that Egypt, Syria, Iraq have tried to help them in these regards before. 
Um, it's not necessarily proof of the hate of Jewish people or their right of having the state of Israel. It's just mostly that in order for them to have the state of Israel is to completely uproot the existence and lives of Palestine. So, again, it's getting a little bit more complex than you're leading on here. Step by step, it gets more and more complex. This has been true since 1947, when the United Nations voted to divide the land called Palestine into a Jewish state and an Arab state. Without the consent of the Palestinians. And also, too, if you can see the video, in fact, I would just encourage you to Google the 1947 map of Palestine and tell me how the fuck it makes sense. Because there's three parts of it that are separated by from each other by Israel land. Why the fuck did they split it into two states where multiple parts of these states are split by the, the, the other state? Why would you partition it in that way? other than to continue the conflict and the, then further the colonization of Palestine. Please tell me why you would do this arbitrary line drawing in the way that they did if you did not expect more conflict to arise from it. Honestly. The Jews accepted the United Nations partition, but no Arab or any other Muslim country accepted it. When British yeah, and that's because Palestine wasn't brought to the table in these discussions. They've never been brought to the table in discussions of the borders of their own country. And on top of it, the other Arab nations who were there at the same time as Palestine's existence did not accept the colonization of Israel because they did not see it fit that the Western civilization just dictate where the Jewish people get to have their land when there's already people living there. So again, missing context to oversimplify things is not how the situation is so simple. You're just ignoring facts. This rule ended on May 15, 1948. The armies of all the neighboring Arab states, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Transjordan, and Egypt, attacked the one-day-old state of Israel in order to destroy it. But to the world's surprise, the little Jewish state survived. Then it happened again. With backing from the United Kingdom, other European nations, and the United States. So you, 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 it's, this isn't as simple as you're playing it out to be. It's, it's missing a whole lot of context there, Prager. In 1967, the dictator of Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, announced his plan, in his words, to destroy Israel. He placed Egyptian troops on Israel's border and armies of surrounding Arab countries were also mobilized to attack. However, Israel preemptively attacked Egypt and Syria. Israel did not attack Jordan and begged Jordan's king not to join the war. But he did. And only because of that did Israel take control of Jordanian land, specifically the West Bank of the Jordan River. Shortly after the war... You see how that makes sense? Like, that makes a whole bunch of sense, right? The fact that these other nations came to the defense of Palestine, and so then Israel decided because of that that they're going to take more of Palestinian land. That's a, that's a good faith thing to do, right? That, that shows that you really care about having the two-state solution or you care about the lives of Palestinians is by punishing them for the acts of foreign governments. That's, that's great. That's really good shit. The Arab states went to Khartoum, Sudan, and announced their famous three no's. No recognition, no peace, and no negotiations. 
What was Israel supposed to do? Well, one thing Israel did a little more than a decade later in 1978 was to give... My favorite part, too, is that they also didn't acknowledge that it was also, too, the UN, the United Nations, who came in and redrew those lines for Israel in 1967, further making the map even worse. Like, the, the, the West Bank was just completely cut off from Gaza and the northern part of Palestine at the time, and Israel conquered more land than it ever had. Initially, when they came into Palestine, they owned 3% of the land. By 1948, they had 80 like it's insane. They had eighty percent after just after all of that. So it's it's um, it is more complicated than he's leading it on. Very very much so. Give the entire Sinai Peninsula an area of land bigger than Israel itself and with oil back to Egypt because Egypt, under new leadership, signed a peace agreement with Israel. So Israel gave land for the promise of peace with Egypt. And it has always been willing to do the same thing with the Palestinians. It's not true. All the Palestinians have ever had to do is recognize Israel as a Jewish state and promise to live in peace with it. So that's the thing, is that for the Palestinians to be left alone is that they have to accept their subjugation and colonization. As if that's a fair thing for them to do. Okay, cool. But when Israel has proposed trading land for peace, as it did in 2000, when it agreed to give the Palestinians a sovereign state in more than 95% of the West Bank and all of Gaza, the Palestinian leadership rejected the offer. And if you could see the video and the map, that is a very small amount of land. And Gaza and the West Bank are divided by a gulf of Israel land. So you can pretend as if this was fair, but by the time that they had this summit with Bill Clinton, the, the scale was already tipped so hard that for the Palestinians to accept it would be to accept their colonization and accept that they would be restricted to these lands that do not offer very much in the form of resources for them. And they don't have much of a country at all. So it's... Mm, Mm, mm. You can act like this was uh, Israel being fair when obviously the UN and the United States were completely backing Israel in no matter what action that they took forward. And we've been doing that since that year. And instead responded by sending waves of suicide terrorists into Israel. Meanwhile, Palestinian radio, television and school curricula remain filled with glorification of terrorists, demonization of Jews, and the daily repeated message that Israel should cease to exist. And we're all supposed to just be against that, even though in order to do that, like I said, you would have to ignore the context of the their dichotomy that Israel is the colonizer and the Palestinians are being colonized. You would have to ignore that fact in order to be like they have no right to demonize the Israelis. Um, I don't think demonization of any group is a good idea, but when you're in a conflict, that's what the state ends up doing in order to have enough fighters to fight for the quote-unquote freedom of their uh, brothers and sisters. So I don't agree with the characterization of Jewish people, but I do understand where it's coming from because, like I said, said it's an existing dichotomy of colonized versus the colonizers okay so um we shouldn't inherently um knock the palestinians just for it is bad language but you 
can at least understand where it's coming from. And the unfortunate thing is, too, is that a video just went viral recently of the uh, of Jewish people talking very ill of the Palestinians, where it's either they need to be kicked out of the land completely so that they can be of no reach of Israel, or they should just be killed um, outright. I'll, I'll find that clip after this, because it's not just Palestine demonizing uh, Israelis or Jewish people. It's also the Jewish people demonizing the Israelis. In case in point, Ben Shapiro once said that Arabs bomb shit while the Jewish people build. Um, it's something about Palestinians eating from sewers. Like, that's demonizing language that dehumanize a population so that it makes it easier to bomb them. So I'll, I'll find the clip of the Israelis saying utterly disgusting things about Palestinians, but we'll get there in a, bit, in, in a minute. So it's not hard to explain the Middle East dispute. One side wants the other dead. The motto of Hamas, the Palestinian rulers of Gaza, is we love death as much as the Jews love life. There are 22 Arab states in the world, stretching from the Atlantic Ocean to the Indian Ocean. There is one Jewish state in the world, and it is about the size of New Jersey. In fact, tiny El Salvador is larger than Israel. Finally, think about these two questions. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? And if the Arab countries around Israel laid down their arms and announced, we will fight no more, what would happen? In the first case, there would be an immediate destruction of the state of Israel and mass murder of its Jewish population. In the second case, there would be peace the next day. As I said at the outset, it is a simple problem to describe. One side wants the other dead. And if it didn't, there would be peace. Please remember this. There has never been a state in the geographic area known as Palestine that was not Jewish. Israel is the third Jewish state to exist in that area. There was never an Arab state, never a Palestinian state, never a Muslim or any other. And this is just a historical whitewashing like that's that him just saying that there was never a Palestine just completely uh, eliminates any legitimacy to the struggle that they are facing against their colonizers, which is the position that I expect him to take because he would like for Palestines to just subjugate themselves to the Israeli regime. That's, that's the way it is. That's the way the cookie is crumbling. State. That's the issue. Why can't the one Jewish state the size of El Salvador be allowed to exist? That is the Middle East problem. I'm Dennis Prager. Um, I do think that Jewish people should have a nation if they so see it fit. I just think it's unfortunate that they have to go about it by eliminating and creating a ma like eliminating so all over the country beginning early whoa, last whoa, whoa, June. Whoa, whoa, school whoa. curricula have changed completely. Tucker, I don't have you scheduled for a segment today. My autoplay is on. Is that what that is? My autoplay on? How dare you? How dare you just pop into my screen like that? Whew, um, I'm having a hard time finding that clip, which kind of sucks. Not being able to find that clip. Uh, that clip. 
because like there was a video that just went viral of Israeli citizens talking about Palestinians and it was extremely Nazi language. Um, but I can't seem to be finding it. It doesn't seem like I saved it either. So that's uh that's more on me right there. But um womp de womp womp womp. Let's see, let's get another PragerU video here. Um let's see. Why isn't there a Palestinian state? Let's see. If Israel just allowed the Palestinians to have a state of their own, there would be peace in the Middle East, right? That's what you hear from UN ambassadors, European diplomats, and most college professors. But what if I told you that Israel has already offered the Palestinians a state of their own, and not just once, but on five separate occasions? Don't believe me? Let's review the record. After the breakup of the Ottoman Empire following World War I, Britain took control of most of the Middle East, including the area that constitutes modern Israel. Seventeen years later, in 1936, the Arabs rebelled against the British and against their Jewish neighbors. The British formed a task... I mean, they're completely for, like, again, a historical whitewashing of context here is that, like, the Ottoman Empire was already revolting against the British Empire. Like, they were already imperializing them, and they were fighting back against that. And because they lost does not mean a justification for further imperialization of the area. So um, it is a consequence of war, but that doesn't morally justify it. Force, the Peel Commission, to study the cause of the rebellion. The commission concluded that the reason for the violence was that two peoples, Jews and Arabs, wanted to govern the same land. What? The answer, the Peel Commission concluded, would be to create two independent states, one for the Jews and one for the Arabs, a two-state solution. The suggested split was heavily in favor of the Arabs. The British offered them 80% of the disputed territory, the Jews the remaining 20%. Yet, despite the tiny size of their proposed state, the Jews voted to accept this offer. But the Arabs rejected it and resumed their violent rebellion. Rejection Hold on, hold on. I don't buy it. The Peel Commission, formerly known as the Palestine Royal Commission, was a British Royal Commission of Inquiry headed by Lord Peel, appointed in 1936 to investigate the causes of unrest in mandatory Palestine, which was administered by Britain following the six-month-long Arab general strike in mandatory Palestine. On the 7th of July, 1937, the commission published a report that for the first time stated that the League of Nations mandate had become unworkable and recommended partition the british cabinet endorsed the partition plan in principle but requested more information hmm. following the publication in 1938 the woodhead commission was appointed to examine in detail and recommend an actual partition plan i think that is because um they had already been moving uh jewish settlers into uh, Palestine. So that is actually what may have led to the uh, revolt. Uh, again, it's the imperialized versus the imperialist. The Arabs opposed the partition plan and condemned it unanimously. The Arab High Committee opposed the idea of a Jewish state and called for an independent state of Palestine, quote, with 
protection of all legitimate Jewish and other minority rights and safeguarding of reasonable British interests. <laughs> uh, they also demanded... Uh, cessation of all Jewish immigration and land purchase. They argued that the creation of a Jewish state and lack of independent Palestine was a betrayal of the word given by Britain and that's because they also uh, promised them that they promised both the Jewish population and the Palestinians the land and so Britain really is the driver of this situation that we're seeing today from a hundred years ago. The Zionist leadership was bitterly divided over the plan in a resolution adopted at the 1937 Zionist Congress the delegates rejected the specific partition plan, yet the principle of partition is generally thought to have been accepted or not rejected outright by any major faction. The delegates empowered the leadership to pursue future negotiations. The Jewish Agency Council later attached a request that a conference be convened to explore peaceful settlement in terms of undivided Palestine. According to Benny Morris, Ben Gunyan and Wiseman say it is say it as a stepping stone of some further expansion and the eventual takeover of the whole of Palestine. Mm, not necessarily wrong. As we're getting hindsight. So the Arab reaction, it says here, the entire spectrum of Palestinian Arab society rejected the partition plan. There was widespread public opposition, including the media and by religious figures, according to Henry Lawrence. The Arabs saw the uh, publication of the plan as a ringing disavowal of every key undertaking the mandatory authorities had made since its inception that there would be no separate Jewish state, no land expo expropriations, and no expulsions of people. The proposed land swaps and population transfers were seen as annulling and inventing a century of economic development of the... Hmm, littoral region with apart from Jaffa and Gaza Palestinians disposed of the essential rule do, 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 do. Hmm. I mean it seems that they were always generally opposed on uh, allowing the building of a Jewish state but that really does kind of speak to the neglect or the incompetence of the British government which seems to have kind of fueled the fire number one ten years later in 1947 the British asked the United Nations to find a new solution to the continuing tensions. Like the Peel Committee. Yeah, because of the uprisings and the revolts and the continued violence, um, they pushed the buck off. They didn't want anything to do with the uh, situation anymore, so they gave it to the UN, who then redrew the lines and made the situation even, even more worse. Mission. The UN decided that the best way to resolve the conflict was to divide the land. In November 1947, the UN voted to create two states. Again, the Jews accepted the offer, and again, the Arabs rejected it. And again, they were not brought to the table for their consent regardless, so they didn't even have the opportunity to reject it. Um, but once the, um, the, the ruling did come down, they then rejected it, yes. Only this time, they did so by launching an all-out war. Rejection number two. Jordan, Egypt, Iraq, Lebanon, and Syria joined the conflict, but they failed. Israel won the war and got on with the business of building a new nation. Most of the land set aside by the UN for an Arab state, the West Bank and East Jerusalem, became occupied territory, occupied not by Israel, but by Jordan. 20 years later, in 1967, the Arabs, led this time by Egypt and joined by Syria and Jordan, 
once again sought to destroy the Jewish state. The 1967 conflict, known as the Six-Day War, ended in a stunning victory for Israel. Jerusalem and the West Bank, as well as the area known as the Gaza Strip, fell into Israel's hands. The government split over what to do with this new territory. Half wanted to return the West Bank to Jordan and Gaza to Egypt in exchange for peace. And none of them concerned of the Palestinians. Not returning it to the Palestinians. Um, not asking the Palestinians. Nope, nope. And this is what I said in the Prager video just before this, is that they don't care. Like, that they were more... Um, punishing the Palestinians for the actions of Egypt and Jordan, Syria and Iraq and Lebanon, rather than actually uh, consorting with the um, Palestinians and also helping them build an infrastructure so that the two-state option would have been a viable one. The other half wanted to give it to the region's Arabs, who had begun referring to themselves as the Palestinians. Yeah, yeah. In 1967, they referred to themselves as the Palestinians, even though we have record here from this Peel, um, the Peel Commission is that man. It was referred to as the Mandatory Palestine in 1936, and Mandatory Palestine is the name given to it by the by the British uh, imperialists. So um, that's cool. That's really cool that they uh, that they're just doing that. Um, Let's see here. Let's see uh, the history of da, 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 the region Palestine. The history of Palestine is the study of the past in the region of Palestine, defined as the territory between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. Um, let's see if I can get. It's not a lot of years on this. Not a lot of dates. Hmm. Let's see. Let's see. The region was among the earliest in the world to see human habitation, agricultural communities, and civilization. The Canaanites established independent city-states that were influenced by surrounding civilizations, among them Egypt, uh, the Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians. Doo -doo -doo -doo. This land goes back to 330s BCE, 8th century BCE. I'm looking specifically, let's see, following the Muslim conquest of Palestine in 736 to 640, several Muslim ruling dynasties succeeded each other as they wrestled control of Palestine. And then it goes through the names. Um, let's see, the Crusaders in uh, in 1099, the Crusaders established the Kingdom of Jerusalem in Palestine, which the Ayyubid uh, Sultanate conquered in eight, in 1187. The Crusaders failed to retake Palestine despite further attempts. The Egyptian. So this this goes back even way beyond. So we're yeah, this land has been <sighs> disputed for a very long time. For a very long time but that still doesn't really um give a pass to the contemporary modern uh israel's actions to today's palestinians um like the video of the 10 year old girl she is not very aware of all of the history because she was not alive to see most of it she's only being taught it she doesn't understand why they're being treated this way when most of their ancestors are the ones who have led us to the part that we are seeing today and israel seems to be less concerned about treating them fairly or humanely um treating them as if this is the same palestinians who resisted in 1947 in 1967 so it's very unfortunate that they haven't taken a more egalitarian approach to the modern uh situation 
in the hope that they would ultimately build their own state there. Neither initiative got very far. A few months later, the Arab League met in Sudan and issued its infamous three no's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. Again, a two-state solution was dismissed by the Arabs, making this rejection number three. In 2000, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak... So, like, all Arabs represent the Palestinians. That's cool. Like, that's, the, that's part of that problem that I keep bringing up over and over again in this, in this episode, is that, like, Palestinians are getting punished just for the, uh, the actions of the foreign governments outside of them, even if they were acting in possibly the interests of the Palestinians, or they just wanted to secure yet another Arab nation in the region. Who knows what the true national interests of those countries truly were? We'd have to go back in time to find out or do a lot of historical reading to understand that, but... Um, there's just like most of this never really concerned any of the citizenry of Palestine, and I find it very unfortunate. Brock met at Camp David with Palestinian Liberation Organization Chairman Yasser Arafat to conclude a new two-state plan. Barack offered Arafat a Palestinian state in all of Gaza and 94% of the West Bank, with East Jerusalem as its capital. But the Palestinian leader rejected the offer. In the words of U.S. President Bill Clinton, Arafat was here 14 days and said no to everything. Instead, the Palestinians launched a bloody wave of suicide bombings that killed over 1,000 Israelis and maimed thousands more on buses, in wedding halls. In the decades of Israel colonizing Palestine, there's been 31 confirmed massacres which have not been brought up once in these PragerU videos where women and children were massacred by the Israeli military. So, you know, while we uh, condemn the Palestinians for... Uh, suicide bombing which of course is an egregious act um, we are ignoring the other side of violence which was much more devastating to one side than the other so that's 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 nearly fascist propaganda in 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 place of israel and in pizza parlors rejection number four in 2008 israel tried yet again how is that rejection number four when that was like immediately after the, the, the so-called president of Palestine had said no? Like that's, I feel like that's just an extension of the first rejection. Prime Minister Ehud Olmert went even further than Ehud Barak had, expanding the peace offer to include additional land to sweeten the deal. Like his predecessor, the new Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, turned the deal down. Rejection number five. There was no like evidence to like how much of that additional land there was, but 94% of the West Bank and Gaza is a very small amount of land and it's enough to uh, hold an open air prison, which they've done for decades now, but it's not enough to actually build a sustainable society, especially if Gaza is split from the West Bank by a gulf of Israeli land. Uh, it, it would make trade and it, it, it would just make um, the administration of that state very difficult. Between these last two Israeli offers, Israel unilaterally left Gaza, giving the Palestinians complete control there. Instead of developing this territory for the good of its citizens. But it's OK that they occupy the West Bank. OK. The Palestinians turned Gaza into a terrorist base from which they have fired thousands of rockets into Israel. 
Each time Israel has agreed to a Palestinian state, the Palestinians have rejected the offer, often violently. So if you're interested in peace in the Middle East, maybe the answer is not to pressure Israel to make... Because it's, 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 it's honestly like if when the American colonizers came to the United States before it was the United States and we're telling Native Americans or the indigenous population like, hey, we took over this section of land and we're willing to give you this amount of land in return of us staying here. And they don't like us whatsoever because we've been killing their people and taking over their land. It's kind of understandable that they would say no, that they just want their land and for us to leave them alone. Um, so, uh, I, I do sympathize with the Palestinians. I do think that the, you know, uh, finding a suitable land for Jewish people could have been handled much better, um, or at least, um, more reasonably, but, uh, because of the connection of their nationalism and their theology, it had to be, uh, where Palestine is located. So this is a very, very... Uh, unfortunate series of events that just seem to find uh, sympathy from the United States for the wrong reasons. Make yet another offer of a state to the Palestinians. Maybe the answer is to pressure the Palestinians to finally accept the existence of a Jewish state. I'm David Brog, Executive Director of the Maccabee Task Force. For Prager University. And yet again, the video ends with like everything would be fine for the Palestinians if they just accepted their subjugation and domination. So that's that's cool. That's really cool. Um, I guess we'll, we'll stop this. Uh, we'll do this one right here and that'll be it. Uh, this one's called Why Don't You Support Israel? When I was the Prime Minister of Canada, I was often asked this question. Why do you support Israel? My response, in effect, was always the same. Why wouldn't I support Israel? Why wouldn't I support a fellow democratic nation where open elections, free speech, and religious tolerance are the everyday norm? Why wouldn't I support a country with a vibrant free press and an independent judiciary? Why would Which is funny because this didn't age very well that now that we saw um, Israel bomb the offices of the AP Associated Press and Al Jazeera. So that was a direct attack on freedom of freedom of press. Um, so yeah, that, that didn't age well. Wouldn't I support a valuable trading partner and a wellspring of amazing technological innovation? Why wouldn't I support our most critical ally in the Middle East and in the international struggle against terrorism? In a rational world, in a world where simple common sense prevailed, the question, why do you support Israel, would be like asking, why do you support Australia or Canada? But we don't- Both colonizer states, yep. Don't live in that rational common sense world. So the case for Israel has to be made over and over. I, for one, am happy to make it. Let me start with this. Every military action Israel has ever taken has been to protect itself. Israel is- that, That's not true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, we could we could make that argument with you know 1947 when the Arab nations or the Muslim nations had gotten into the business, and also again in 1967 with the Six Day War. But uh, for the most part, since their settlement, it has been incredibly aggressive in reducing the amount of land that Palestine has. In fact, effectively erasing the existence of Palestine and ensuring the uh, expansion of Israel until it conquers all of its land. 
uh, back to its former glory of the Bible days, biblical days. So the Torah. It's not an aggressor state. It's a defensive state. This has been true from its founding to this day. And it's amazing, too, that a defensive state kills so many civilians of mainly women and children. Like, that's what defense looks like, is killing your enemies, women and children. As a fledgling nation in 1948. And then also, too, like, none of these videos are, um, you know, I would say recent enough to acknowledge that the lack of vaccine is also kind of contributing to the detriment and existence of the Palestinians. So that's that's another point to raise now that we don't have that in this contextual video. So Israel was immediately attacked by its Arab neighbors. Their goal was not to contain the tiny new country. It was to annihilate it. No nation came to Israel's aid, not the United States, not my country, Canada, not the United Kingdom. No one. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Hold on. I'm not going to let that pass without. I'm not going to let that pass without fact checking it. Because it was the 1947 United Nations partition plan that gave uh, Israel that support and the reaction from the Arab states. So that was UN backed. Um, uh, so here we have uh, several paramilitary groups that helped Israel. One of them was the Hag Haganah. Uh, this was the main military organization of the Jewish people. Um, that's, yep and later became the core of the IDF. Then we have Palmach, which was the elite fighting force of the Haganah, the underground army of the Yushiv during the period of the British Mandate for Palestine, the Palmach established by the outbreak of 1948. Um, the Hish, another one of the Jewish armies. And then we have the Hyum. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the Guards Corps was the stationary military unit of the Haganah. Hmm. So they actually had several military wings inside of Israel at the time. The Irgun was a Zionist paramilitary organization that operated in Mandate Palestine between 1931 and 1948. The organization is also referred to as ETSL, an acronym of the Hebrew initials or by the abbreviation ISIL. It was an offshoot of an older... Hmm. Let's see, of an older and larger Jewish paramilitary organization. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. They were also absorbed into the IDF, followed by that war. And then we have the Lehi, which also was, okay, Freedom Fighters in Israel. So, yeah, I'm actually not seeing too many other nations that came to support Israel. Uh, the Yushiv managed to clandestinely amass arms and military equipment 
abroad for transfer to Palestine once the British blockade was lifted. In the United States, Yushiv agents purchased three Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress bombers, one of which bombed Cairo in July 1948. Some defined uh, some Curtis C-46 commando transport planes and dozens of half-tracks which were repainted and defined as agricultural equipment. In Western Europe, Haganah agents amassed 50 65mm French mountain guns, 12 120mm mortars, 10 H-35 light tanks, and a large number of half-tracks. So, they were not provided with forces from any other nations, but they were given plenty of armament. Um... So that's the airborne arms smuggling missions, uh, codename Operation Balak. The airborne smuggling missions were carried out by mostly American aviators. So they didn't, you know, they may have done the fighting by themselves, but their equipment was heavily funded by Western Europe and the United States. So uh, not necessarily as alone as he's framing it. That's interesting. They all thought Israel would lose but it didn't lose, it won. In 1967, Israel's neighbors again sought to utterly destroy the Jewish state, a nation that had then existed for two decades. Again, Israel prevailed, and it survived another all-out attack in 1973. Those are the big wars, but I'm not sure there's been a single day in Israel's entire history when some act of terror has not been waged against it, inside or outside its borders. There have been two bloody waves of terror, so-called intifadas, in the late 1980s and the early 2000s, when Israelis were blown up on buses. My favorite thing is that he doesn't uh, translate what intifada means, and it means uprising. So again, you have to be entirely sold in Israel's right to defend itself. You have to ignore the pretext or the context that Israel is colonizing Palestinians. So by saying Israel has its right to defend itself, you're implying that Palestinians don't. It's not very fair in observing this conflict. Now, I don't like any war. I don't like any bloodshed, but um, I at least can come from a point of understanding for the Palestinians that they see oppressors coming to their front door. So... um, There's at least a level of understanding that I can meet them with here, and at this point in time, we're not seeing a war or conflict. We are seeing a massacre-like genocide. So, again, this uh, polygentsia that we're engaging in for Israel, a little bad faith. I don't think it's coming from the best possible place that it could come for that is uh, entirely justified. There's too many holes, especially when looking into historical context, in just saying that Israel has every right to defend itself. Um, I don't understand why Palestinians are not. At pizza parlors and celebrating weddings. There have been incursions from terror groups like Hezbollah in Lebanon. There have been thousands of rocket attacks from Hamas in the Gaza Strip even after Israel completely withdrew from that territory in 2005. In between the wars, in between the terror, Israel has sought peace. Uh, I have to fact check that as well, because as far as I know, Gaza is literally an open-air prison.
And it's funny too that they give them the credit, like, oh, they withdrew from Gaza as if like Gaza isn't surrounded by Israeli ter- territory. So by the 22nd of September 2005, Israel's withdrawal from the entire Gaza Strip to the 1967 Green Line. Okay, so they're literally just sitting outside of their borders. So they may not like have troops inside Gaza, but yeah, they're surrounded. Um, let's see. The eviction of the four settlements in Samaria was completed in in June 2007. Hamas took over the Gaza Strip from the Palestinian Authority. Israel and da, 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 da. so yeah I guess uh, I guess they're pulled out but um, you know being surrounded doesn't make them any more free so that's that's cool with its neighbors and it has achieved peace treaties and then also too like as if them pulling out of Gaza is just like the ultimate sign of good faith peace you know progression when like they're still occupying the West Bank with Egypt and Jordan <laughs> and like Palestinians aren't allowed to like really travel through the greater Israel they're just you know they're designated to their zones basically like it's an apartheid state and yet just because they're not actively occupying Gaza the smallest piece of whatever's left of Palestine that's that's justifiable sure for others however every Israeli gesture for peace is met with incitement and violence because that's as if like Native Americans had to be okay with us like colonizing more and more spaces of their land and just being okay with it. Like as we expanded past the 13 colonies that they just didn't put up a fight and be like, well, Americans will be Americans. And then just, you know, waited for us to build our cities over their, you know, uh, sacred lands or, you know, in certain spots and everything like that. It's just it's a weird um, mentality to have for me to to think that people who are being colonized should just you know not do anything about it and that's how you're going to find peace as if like the israeli wouldn't just like come in and treat them as second class citizens regardless because even like we like the united states ended up giving reservations to native americans and those areas are poorly funded with shit infrastructure and we kind of put them in a spot so we could forget about them like drug abuse and crime are extremely high in those areas mainly because we've ripped every bit of economic opportunity that we can from them in those areas so um even the the acceptance of your subjugation can lead to more suffrage and that might entail or inspire some people to fight against that kind of oppression i recount this history for one reason any nation that has endured what israel has endured could easily have become a police state but through it all what it is (laughs) <laughs> it certainly is they have checkpoints like they and like i said palestinians aren't allowed to travel throughout the greater israel so like yeah it is a police state but it's mainly for one part of its population which that's why it's being designated as an apartheid state wow the mental gymnastics going on right now israel has never abandoned its commitment to the rule of law to democracy to tolerance one-fifth of its citizens are Muslim. They enjoy... Wait, do I still have the... Uh, I, I, I don't know if I saved these properly, but there was um, quotes from... Uh, let's see here. Uh, quotes from leadership within Israel that came out a while ago. Let's see. Here we go. These are uh, Israeli officials right here. So we have from 2013 from Rabbi Eli Ben Dachan, if I said that right. 
Uh, it says, Palestinians are beasts. They are not human, unquote. And this one comes from the uh, current Minister of Justice, Ayelet Shaked, um, uh, from 2014. It says, quote, What's so horrifying about understanding that the entire Palestinian people is the enemy? They are all enemy combatants, and their blood shall be on all their heads. Now, this also includes the mothers of the martyrs who send them to hell with flowers and kisses. They should follow their sons. Nothing would be more just. They should go, as should the physical homes in which they raised the snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. Cool. Let's see. Let's, let's get some more quotes here. We got from 2012. This is Miri Rejev. I think I'm pronouncing these names. I don't know. It says, current minister of culture and sport. Quote from 2012. Quote, the Sudanese are a cancer in our body. We will do everything to send them back where they came from. Unquote. Incredibly tolerant. Um, another one from... Oh, man, I can't say these names. Avigdor... Lieberman from 2015. It was then foreign minister and leader of the um, Yisrael uh, Belt Beltnew party. I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but this is from a party member within Israel coming quote from 2015 quote, those who are with us deserve everything, but those who are against us deserve to have their heads chopped off with an ax unquote. Very tolerant. Uh, 2014. This comes from then deputy speaker of the Israeli parliament. Um, Nesset from Netanyahu's Lilud party. Um, the name being Mosh Fain. Um, our soldiers are the only innocents in Gaza. Under no circumstances should they be killed because of false uh, morality that prefers to protect enemy civilians. One hair on the head of an Israeli soldier is more precious than the entire Gazan populace, which elected the Hamas and supports and encourages anyone who murders Israelis. Unquote. Let's get some more. Uh, then Deputy Minister of Religious Services and current Deputy Minister of Defense, uh, Rabbi Eli Ben Dachan, said in 2013, quote, A Jew always has a much higher soul than a Gentile, even if is, he is a homosexual, unquote. Uh, Miri Rejev, current Minister of Culture and Sport in 2012, said, quote, I am happy to be a fascist, unquote. And this one comes from Zippy Hotev. Hotavelli, current deputy foreign minister, who said in 2011, quote, there are 92,000 families in Israel in which one of the partners is not Jewish. We have a real problem that we have to deal with. Very tolerant. All right, let's get, let's get, the, these are the last quotes right here. From 2002, this comes from then general and current defense minister, Mosh Yalon, quote, the Palestinian threat harbors cancer-like attributes that have to be severed. There are all kinds of solutions to cancer. Some say it's necessary to amputate organs, but at the moment, I am applying chemotherapy. Unquote. That is, wow, very Nazi. Um, so we have Benjamin Netanyahu, current prime minister, while in the opposition following his first term as prime minister, caught on video speaking to Israeli settlers in 2001, saying, quote, the way to deal with Palestinians is to beat them up, not once, but repeatedly beat them up. So it hurts so badly until it's unbearable. Oh, yeah. 
that's that tolerance shit that I just shoot in my veins every morning. That's that's so tolerant. By the same rights as Jewish citizens. They occupy key positions in the nation's courts, press, and government. And they have their own parties representing them in the Knesset, Israel's parliament. To say that Muslims in Israel are the freest Muslims in the region is an understatement. How about this as a human rights test? Prisoners in Israel, be they Jewish or Arab, are well-treated, well-fed, and have access to the best possible medical care. Parents and spouses of these prisoners know where they are and that they are safe. Who else in the region but Israel can make that claim? It's amazing is that I have to take his word for it and I can't find myself to do it. So, um, you know, like I say for a lot of Steven Crowder, Ben Shapiro and Tim Pool videos, if you have evidence to back up your claim, please present it. Otherwise, I have to go off of your word. And so far, three minutes and 39 seconds in your word means shit to me. Through all the wars and all the terror, Israel has survived, and especially in the last 20 years, it has thrived. It's known as startup nation, and with good reason. Key components of your cell phone and your laptop were designed in Israel. A drug or a medical device that has saved your life or the life of a loved one may have been developed in Israel. Yet there are leftist politicians. Yeah, and the math that we use, for the most part, was developed in Arab nations. So, like, what are we, again, what are we talking about here? Like, any nation is really, like, capable of innovation and discovery and in enriching the human experience if it's allowed the opportunity to succeed and fulfill its own sovereignty and... um actualization uh the palestinians have had their infrastructure being torn apart since 1917 we don't really have a lot to look forward to in the way of ingenuity coming from palestine so long as it is fighting off oppression it's that's a pretty weak argument to be honest with you because there's there's countries all around the globe who have contributed to the enrichment of our life experience so um israel is not exceptional in this regard activists, artists, academics, and college students who devote their lives to denouncing Israel, calling for boycotts, demanding it be cut off from academic and professional societies. Do they denounce the Palestinian leadership that hasn't held an election in well over a decade? Huh. I, have to, I have to look up that claim as well. Last time Palestine held elections i don't really know how like it like like i said like he just says things and doesn't provide any uh proof the last elections for the palestinian legislative council were held on 25th of january 2006 uh there have not been any elections either for president or for the legislature since these two elections elections since these dates have only been for local offices hmm i wonder why that is though the Palestine legislature passed a law in June 2005 signed by Abbas on the 13th of August 2005 to increase the number of members from do, 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 to, uh, with half to be elected using proportional representation and half by plurality at large voting in traditional constituencies. The January 2005 presidential election was won by Abbas of Fatah, while the January 2006 legislative election was won by Hamas. In 2007, a presidential decree abolished the contingent uh, 
constituency seats with all seats to be elected from a national list and prohibited parties which did not acknowledge the PLO's right to represent the Palestinian people. Oh, yeah, so that makes more sense. It seems more like Hamas, once they actually captured power, decided to um, consolidate all of it to themselves, ripping it away from the uh, PLO, which was the other authority at the time. So um yeah hamas isn't necessarily something to be proud of but like many people have said is that hamas doesn't represent uh the majority of palestinians they're just the only ones who have the resources and the manpower to fight back against israel whenever there is conflict that is arising in the situation and so the palestinians tend to hide behind the leviathan because it, it's defending them from the bombardment of israelis so you know they complain that it, palestine aligns itself with the hamas terrorists but really it's israel pushing them into their arms um and that's been happening since hamas decided to consolidate power in 2007 so you know again taking shit out of context because it's much easier to explain that way than it is to actually make a i don't know 30 minute long video actually explaining the conflict and empowering people to make well-informed decisions without having to be told of what to do and what to think do they denounce the leadership of hamas who use women and children as human shields to protect their fighters no they denounce free vibrant democratic innovative israel with all the brutal and violent regimes, not only in the Middle East, but around the world, how is one to explain singling out Israel for condemnation? Sadly, only one explanation fits, anti-Semitism. <laughs> Do these haters of Israel question the legitimacy of any other democratic nation, of any nation for that matter? Yeah, I do. The United States. I have plenty of criticisms for Australia, too. I have plenty of criticisms for the UK. I have plenty of criticisms uh, for Canada. I have plenty of criticisms of um, what, what, what's the one I'm missing here? Germany. Um, you know, Norway's got a, a significant amount of criticisms to have. No government is perfect. Absolutely no government is perfect and is, you know, probably has tons of room for improvement. But it's very fascinating here that when anybody criticizes Israel, you're automatically marked as an anti-Semite. That's, that's a, a dumb way, a dumb response to engage anybody in this conversation because it's not a problem of Jewish people. It's a problem of the actions of the state by uh, carrying out a, a massacre against another population that lives within the land. Um, I didn't hate the Nazis because they were Nazis. I hated the Nazis because they were killing Jews. It's the actions. Not, not, not necessarily the ideology in itself, because in the same way, communism is an ideology, it's a tool, but once it got used in the Soviet Union to create a famine in the Ukraine and also, um, I don't know, even furthers the subjugation of its own citizens rather than leading it to the communist dream that Karl Marx had envisioned for the world, um, that's also condemnable. Like, that's also bad behavior. So uh, I'm not anti-Russian because the Soviet Union decided to exploit its citizenry and kill millions of Ukrainians. It's not because they're Russian, but it's because of the actions that they uh, pursued. So it's, uh, it's a weak argument. <laughs> matter. Of course, the answer is no. Somehow they only managed to oppose the Jewish one. 
The state of Israel has now existed for 70 years. It is one of the freest, most prosperous, most successful nations on earth. I like how they put one of the freest because whenever they're doing a video about like anti-leftism and how the woke is attacking America, America is the freest, most prosperous, most successful nation on earth. But then when they want us to feel sympathy for another nation, they're also one of the freest, most prosperous, most successful nations on the earth. It's, it's great. It's great adoption of language. Why do I support Israel? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't anyone? I'm Stephen Harper. Twenty <laughs> Because they're committing a genocide in the name of colonization. That's the simplest answer I could put it out for you. And that's it. That's tox news. It, it's, it, it got toxified enough in here. I, I need to go detox myself now. Um, follow on Twitter at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. Uh, the video, or I guess the YouTube link is down below, but I don't have video yet because the CPU on my computer is incredibly weak. So someday... I may return to video, but not anytime soon. And um, yeah, uh, just, uh, I don't know. Don't listen to a colonial state telling others how they should feel about colonization of other places. That's it. That's, that's the best advice I could throw out there. So uh, I'll catch y'all next time in the tox zone where everything is toxic except for your mind. I never seem to get like that seamless outro. Like, never do. There it is.